Let's open our Bibles to the book of Job, the very first chapter. We'll read the first verse and then begin to give you a little bit of introduction and division and also begin to go from uh, verse 1 on down verse by verse through the studies. But let's look at verse 1. It says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. That means he feared God and shunned. The word eschewed means shunned evil. You know, Paul said shunned the very appearance of evil. This man was of the land of Uz. By the way, in the book of Jeremiah 25, verse 20, you'll find that Uz is a country. And in the book of Genesis 10, verse 23, as well as other references, you'll find that Uz was a person. So it says here in the land of us. So there was both a person and a country. And the man whose name was Job. And uh, if you have Genesis 10, 29, you don't have to look at these references, but they believe that Jobab, J-O-B-A-B, was the same as Job that we find here. So that's way back in the book of Genesis. And when we think of the time of the writing of this book, it was possibly around the time of Abraham or possibly even as much as 500 years before the time of Abraham, the time of the book, but not necessarily written at that time, the time of the happening, I should have said. And the time that it was written, we do not know exactly. Exactly, Know that the time had to be a long time back before Moses because there was no mention of Israel, no mention of the tabernacle, no mention of the temple, no mention of the law. And all of these things indicate a very early happening but we don't know when it was written. Uh, the writer himself, some believe to be Job himself, and others, Elihu, one of the, the friends of Job that we find mentioned in the book of Job. Some say Moses could have written it, or even Solomon. And it's one of the poetic books, of course. Uh, Job deals with the problem of sufferings, the trials of an upright man. A righteous man learns his own nothingness. And this has to do with Job himself. We find that there are three outstanding characters here. Job is the servant of God. Satan is the adversary. And God is the judge of all. So you have Job and Satan and God. Then you have Job's three friends. There were three friends that speak of the wisdom of the world. There were Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. And then there was Elihu, of course, was the one that... Uh, speaks of the wisdom of God, and yet all the things he spoke, Job was not guilty of. We find that all of these three spoke of good things, but they didn't apply to Job. Job's biggest sin was the fact that he was righteous, but he knew it. He had this big disease of eye, this big eye disease. You know, I'm righteous and I know it. It's all right to be righteous, but don't think too much of it. And Job was righteous and he knew it. And he knew where he stood before God, and yet he... he claimed his righteousness to the extent that he couldn't see his, the fact that he was man and sinful as well. And his three friends accused him of a lot of things that he was not guilty of. Uh, when we look at his three friends, we'll find them... By the way, let me give you the division of the book, and, and that will include what I'm about to say about his three friends. The first two chapters show us Job in the hands of God. And then chapters 3 through 37 shows us Job in the hands of his friends. And then chapters uh, 38 through 42 shows us Job's, Job in the hands of God. Job in the hands of Satan, that's pretty rough. Is, 
Job in the hands of his friends is not a whole lot better when we get to look at it. But Job in the hands of God, God brings him to the place that he realizes just exactly where he stands. And you know, that's the only one that can bring us to the place that we really understand who we are and what, what it's all about. And uh, when we get to dealing with this, we'll find a lot of things about Job. The historical prologue of this uh, book is the testing of Job by Satan. The land of Uz was between Palestine and the Ara- and Arabia on the border. And so we find that we'll begin. Now, let's begin the study of the book of Job with that much introduction. If you have any questions about that, uh, we can give them to you later. Uh, I might mention, though, just in identifying what I started to say about the three friends. In chapter 4, verse 1, we find Eliphaz, the Temanite, and he speaks of the voice of experience. He says, I have seen. I've seen this happen, you know. And then we come to uh, chapter 8, verse 1. We find Bildad, and he's the voice of experience. In verse 8 he says, For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age. In other words, everything that's been passed on down to us through tradition. And then you come to chapter 11, verse 1, and you have Zophar. uh, And he's the voice of legalism. So you have the voice of experience, the voice of tradition, and the voice of legalism. And none of these answer man's needs. The voice of experience thinks he knows it all. The voice of tradition says you ought to do it this way because our forefathers did. And the voice of, of uh, legalism says, you know, if you hadn't been such a great sinner, well, you wouldn't have to suffer all these things. You're just getting what you deserve. And we'll find that all three of them, though there's some element of truth in all three of these answers that these three friends of Job give, yet they do not apply to Job. You know, it's all right to have an answer, but you better know what the question is before you try to give the answer. And they were trying to give Job the answer to his problem, and they figured it was sin, and he was reaping what he had sown, and they didn't know that it was just the fact that Job was was righteous before man and righteous really before God, and Satan couldn't accuse him, but he knew all about it, and he needed to be humbled a little and, and have his... Uh, condition brought before God himself instead of the friends accusing him of being guilty of this and that and the other to find that uh, they uh, a lot of things and boy this is going to be interesting as we get into it let's look at verse 1 again it says there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job and that man was perfect and upright uh, and one that feared God and eschewed evil you know perfect and upright means he was uh, plainly devoted to God, that he was mature in the things of God, that he was uh, one that feared God, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and one that eschewed evil, he shunned evil. You know, Paul says, shun the very appearance of evil. When will we learn from the Scriptures that we ought to follow the uh, teaching of the Scriptures and shun, if God says to shun it, we ought to shun it. A lot of people say, well, it won't hurt me to test this out or that out or try out everything. There's a lot of things you'll be better off never trying out and having to experience. And uh, so if the evil, if it appears to be evil, well, put it away from you and shun it and turn your back on it. And that's what Job did. He knew what, how he could recognize it and he turned his back upon it. His evil was not from without, it was from within. The only problem with Job, as I said before, was his uh, inward self-righteousness. And we'll find that to be true as we study these scriptures. 
We know that there was a man named Job. And by the way, if you look in, uh, there's two references, Ezekiel 14, 14 and verse 20, and James 5, 11, two other places that he's referred to. Ezekiel 14, 14 and 14, 20, and James 5, 11. James 5.11 refers to the patience. He says, you've heard of the patience of Job and you've seen the end of the Lord. Remember, James refers to him as a man of patience. And in Ezekiel 14, verse 14, it says, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. In this passage of Scripture, God said he would ascend a famine. In verse 13, he said he would send Noah some beasts in verse... 15, he said he would send a sword in verse 17, and he said that he would send pestilence in verse 19, and then verse 20 he repeats again, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. You have these four plagues or four judgments that God was going to bring upon the, the people, the nation. And he said there's only three that would escape. Three proved to be men of, of faith and men that would overcome. Overcomers. What do we find in overcomers? Noah overcame the world, didn't he? Noah overcame the world. Daniel overcame the flesh. And Job overcame the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And these three men are typical of overcomers of all the three aspects of those things that would be the enemies of our souls. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And says, though Noah and Daniel and Job stood before me, they would deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. Because they were overcomers in these three aspects. And we would have a whole sermon on that if we were to go into it. But we will not. Let's look back in Job chapter 1. Hold your place where we're studying. It says in verse 2, And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was not only great because he was wealthy, but the greatness of Job also was his moral and spiritual qualities as well as his wealth. Just to have a lot of wealth doesn't make one great. But he, if he has along with that wealth, if you remember, the uh, first verse said he was uh, perfect and upright. He had, some more, he had some spiritual, moral and spiritual qualities, and that made him the greatest. So it was not just his possessions that made him great. It was the man himself that made him great. Uh, the word says uh, perfect and upright. That means that he was without blame before God. If you look at verse 3. Verse 2 said he had seven sons and three daughters. He was blessed with a good family, wasn't he? But look at verse 3. His substance also was 7,000 sheep. Look at the number of, that you find. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. He was great in wealth as well as in spiritual and moral qualities. In verse 4 it says, and his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. In other words, it seems like they took turns. There were seven sons and three daughters. So they'd, every one in his day, they'd have a feast at one son's house, and then they'd have another one in another one. And it seemed like that they were just living, uh, you know, real, uh, wonderful, carefree lives. 
having all the time in the world to just have a good time. So they took turns going from one son to another and they invited the, the sisters, their three sisters, to eat and drink with them. Verse 5, And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job, it's, for Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and curse God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually burnt sacrifices, burnt offerings for every one of his sons, for all of his children. He was concerned about their their uh, spiritual well-being. He says it may be they've sinned God in their hearts. He realized sin was from within. And thus did Job continually. He did it all. He was consistent in this. He was uh, continually offering these sacrifices. Do you find something missing here, though? Well, as he was concerned about his family, you don't find Job offering a burnt sacrifice or burnt offering for himself. You find him saying, you know, maybe I've got some needs to take care of. Now, we're always taking care of the other fellow's needs or the family's needs. We don't look inward and say, well, you know, I've got to take care of self first. On our face before God and confess our own sins and our own needs. That's what I do. That's what all of us need to do. Sometimes... Uh, we find uh, fathers around the country that will blame their family. They blame their children. They're so wicked here. They do this and they do that and other. But Dad, what about you? Mother, what about you? Well, what do you do? We have to get ourselves right. And Job was missing this. He thought he was good enough, brother. And God, God testified of his goodness. But on the other hand, finally... If you go back to the, go to the end of the book, and let's not read the end before we read through it, but, you know, sometimes if you get there, you'll find out that he had to meet God face to face to really see who he was. And then he repented. He says, now my eyes are seen and I repent in dust and ashes. He said, I abhor myself. He said, I'm not as good as I thought I was. In the face of his family, he was fine. In the face of his friends, he was fine. And these, uh, these uh, friends that had good wisdom could not accuse him of anything. Everything they said, almost everything they said, Job was not guilty of. When he saw God face to face, he said, oh, this is a different story. You know, I'm facing the Holy One now, and I see who I really am. That's the lesson we learn from this. And by the way, if you were to epitomize everything I've thus far said, you would have the lesson. I've got to, I'm going to teach you the 42 chapters because there's minute details all the way through. But let me say this. You've gotten what I've said so far. You've gotten the, a, gra a grasp of the book of Job. Job, the servant of God, Job before God, accused of the adversary. His three friends try to comfort him. Job finally has to see God face to face before he realizes, really, the only thing that's wrong with him is he is righteous and he knew it. The big eye sin. You know, what's wrong with Job? God was going to test him because he knew Job could take it. Remember, he was going to test Peter. He knew Peter could take it. He says, he says Simon, Simon, Satan had desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. Jesus knew that Peter was going through the devil's sifter. And he says, But when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. He knew exactly what Peter could take. Some people put Peter down as one that was, you know, of course, we know he denied. We know the steps of his downfall and etc. But you know one thing? He was very special to the Lord because Jesus knew he could take it. He didn't pick any of the others out to go through that sifting, did he? Pick, pick Peter out. And he says, Peter, I know you'll come through victorious when thou art converted. He didn't say if thou art converted, did he? 
said when, and it didn't mean conversion as far as salvation. It means when you've seen everything and you've changed to be the man I want you to be. Instead of depending on your own self-confidence, uh, you're depending upon God later. Then you can strengthen the brethren and know that your confidence is not in yourself, but it's in me. And that's what he was teaching. And we find others in the Bible. Ze- uh, Joshua the high priest in the book of Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 is another reference to one that was tested. But we won't go into that. Let's look at this. So in verse 5, it says, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Now then, think about this. The sons of God here are really the good angels. These are not fallen angels. Why should fallen angels present themselves before the Lord? Fallen angels wouldn't do that, and they couldn't do that. But Satan is distinguished here from the sons of God. It doesn't say the sons of God who belong to Satan or the angels that are fallen that belong to the devil. It says the sons of God, and the term here has to do, by the way, the reference has to do with the, the angels of God, and they probably appeared before him for worship and communion. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And it says, And Satan came also among them, in the midst of them, in the midst of these true worshipers of God in heaven. The devil had access to God's presence. So the Bible teaches that he's the adversary, and the adversary is Satan, and he has a very personal uh, appearance in the presence of God. Why? We don't understand. But even over in the last part of the Bible, in the book of Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, it says this, and that great and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent, listen, called the devil and Satan. You find him here, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now look at this. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. Now listen, for the accuser of our brethren, didn't he accuse Job? The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So all through the Bible, the devil seems to have had access to the presence of God to accuse God's children. Always takes care of his children. And we're going to find he takes care of Job, too. So it says in verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, By the way, did you know the Lord initiates this conversation? Not the devil. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? What are you doing here? He said, well, I've been running to and fro upon the face of the earth. Didn't Peter say, your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour? He's been the same through the ages, the same wicked uh, adversary, accuser of the brethren. Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, and God carrying on a conversation with his with the adversary of our souls. You know, Job doesn't know anything about this conversation. He doesn't know this conversation is going on in the heavenlies. Job's here on this earth, and the devil's uh, trying to get God to get uh, give him permission to do something to this man. He says, uh, "The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Have you set your eyes your eyes or your heart upon Job?" 
Do you think that you found one now that you can really uh, turn around? That there is none like him in the earth? Perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? He says, have you looked at this man? Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? He was accusing, making the claim that Job served God just for what profit or what benefit he could get out of it. And now there are some that do that. But Job wasn't guilty of that. God had blessed Job with a good family. He blessed him with wealth. By the way, riches and wealth is two different things. Riches have to do with a man... Uh, having all in the world he can get and then wanting more. And wealth has to do with all that a man is blessed of God to have and willing to share it and use it for God. In fact, you'll find over in the book of Job where he said he made the widow's heart to sing for joy. He helped the poor and the needy and the orphans. You'll find that he was willing to share his wealth with others. God gives you things if you'll share it. And the more you share it, the more he'll give you. Amen? You try that and see if it doesn't work. You just try it and see if it doesn't work. Anyway, uh, here, does Job fear God for not? He says, oh, this man, God, he says, this, the only reason Job fears you is because of what he can get you to give him. Because you've given him many possessions and, and he knows that as long as he, he fears you and, and, and does what he's doing, well, you, you'll give him plenty of strength. He says, hast not thou made an hedge about him? His possessions were protected. It's only God showed ownership. This hedge, you know, a, a hedge indicates protection, uh, ownership. If you build a hedge around your property, a lot of times they use the hedges in place of fence, uh, fences, and it showed that in within that hedge, this belonged to certain individuals. It had a hedge around not only Job but everything that he had. It was all under God's care. Under his protection. It's not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side. See? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. He says, you just put forth your hand and see if he won't turn away from you. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Listen, he's in your hands. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. Here, first, he wouldn't let him touch Job. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So Satan's activities are limited by the sovereign power of God. God says, I'll let you go, but only so far. God is the one that sets the limitations of anything that happens to any of us. God knows the bounds that he will permit, and he'll never let us go, let anyone, the devil himself, go beyond that. You say, well, he came back and he did some more to Job. Yes, but even then, God says, okay, you can't touch his life. You cannot touch his life. He was sore balls from the top of his head, from his crown to the sole of his feet. And he raked himself off with a piece of broken pottery, scraped his wounds. A horrible condition, sat in an ash heap. God says, don't touch his life. He's going to make it yet. Remember the end of it, he turned out blessed, didn't he? You see, the devil can only go so far. Don't give him too much credit. Some people say, oh, the devil's going to cause me this trouble, that trouble, and the other trouble. Do I suppose in it? But anyway, what we're trying to say is that it's all right. It's all right. But uh, what we're trying to say is that God can limit anything that happens. Can he? He can limit anything that happens in this world or in this life to any one of us. 
or to the world itself, to all of his creation, to all of everything in this world, in this universe is under God's control. He is sovereign in his actions, and he's great in his power. He's all-powerful and all-knowing and all-seeing. Thank you. So we find that he limited. So he says, put forth thine hand, put forth thine hand. Touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only on himself, uh, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now look, verse 13 starts a paragraph. It says, And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. You know, when I read this and began to see the the power that Satan was permitted to use against Job. These words, and there was a day. Never know when the tragedy may come. And from this point on to the rest of this chapter, we find one bad thing after another happening to Job. There was a day when, and so, you know, our lives may be coasting along very well and we may say, oh, I've got it made. None of us have it made without God. And we only have it made as far as His grace and mercies is permissive. doesn't make any difference who we are or what we have. It really doesn't. It all depends upon God's blessings and God's hand upon our lives. And that's why I pray constantly, God, I, I, I trust that I will not have to go through what Job did. And I pray that I'll realize that I am uh, not... I try to be righteous and live righteous, but I... I have many sins and shortcomings, and I confess that before God because I say I don't want to have to learn it the way Job learned it. Amen? He learned it the hard way. And Job was a good man. The Bible says he would. Uh, God says he was. But we see, we don't see at the end until we get to the end of the book just exactly what was the problem with Job. The problem was himself. It wasn't anyone else. It wasn't the way he treated anyone wasn't the way he loved people. It wasn't the way he cared for people. It wasn't his charity. It wasn't his possessions. It wasn't his family. It was himself. Right inside. So, uh, the Bible says that a man should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think what? Soberly. According as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. And if we can learn that lesson, we've given you that in the, in the New Testament. That's in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter. And if you remember, I taught you three things about that. One is overthinking more highly than you ought to think. And then the second thought was underthinking. Let no man despise thee. Don't be a, a doormat for someone to tromp on and clean their feet on. And then it says, but to think soberly. Get that middle ground. According as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, we've got these uh, various psychology books and uh, I forget the name of the particular one. Some of you may recall it, you know, about yourself. What is the name? Do you know it? Uh, it has three aspects of what I am. But uh, I won't go into that. All I'll say is this. One of them tries to make man think he's above everybody. But the Bible doesn't teach that. We certainly don't want to be lower than everybody so that they'll trump us in the dirt. But the Bible says to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I'm not better than the other fellow, and I'm not going to be the, the one to walk on, but I'm going to try to keep that middle ground, and by the grace of God, I'll be okay. The Bible teaches us how to think as well as how to act. 
And that's what that, that's the middle ground of thinking. So anyway, let's go on with this. It says, and there was a day when this when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And they came there came a messenger into Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. This was from the south. From the south uh, of Ara- in Arabia, South Arabia. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am es- escaped alone to tell thee. From above, first from the south and then from above, as if God was against him. Probably the lightning, the fire of God is fallen from heaven. And then verse 17, while he was yet speaking, notice verse uh, 16, while he was yet speaking. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking. So one tragedy right after another. While he was yet speaking, verse 17, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Here comes trouble from the east. The Chaldeans were from the east the land of Abraham. While he was yet speaking, verse 18, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and so the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell them. All of his children were killed. Four great thrusts of Satan. The Sabaeans came from the south. And it seemed as if God was against him. The fire of God has fallen from heaven. From the east, the Chaldeans, verse 17. The great wind from the wilderness, verse 19. He says, I'm the only one. I only am escaped alone to tell thee. This teaches us how uncertain everything in this earth and this life really is. Uncertain. We talked, I mentioned one day if a fellow had a million dollars, he's not sure he'd keep it. A million dollars nowadays is not like... Some that people talk about. We used to think a millionaire just really had it made. They can leave pretty quick. They talk of billionaires now, don't they? But anyway, be that as it may, it doesn't make any difference how much wealth or riches a person may have. When Job rose early in that morning, he was the richest or wealthiest of all the men of the East. Before nightfall, he was bereaved of all his possessions and his family. I said, curse God and die. Comfort, isn't it? Just have one left and her tell you to curse God. I'm telling you. Job really went through it, didn't he? And so it says in verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle. Listen, this is a sign of of a, a sorrow, bereavement. And shaved his head and fell upon the ground and worshipped. His mantle shaved his head. Humility fell down upon the ground. Now look at this. And worshipped. Sometimes out of the deepest grief, and sorrow that we have is the most sincere worship that we've ever rendered to God. Something terrible has happened in your life, some terrible tragedy. Sometimes it draws you closer to God than ever before. To invite tragedies or wish them upon anyone, you say that that does make things different between you and God. I guarantee that you went through an experience of great tragedy in your life. You find that it'll humble you before God and you'll say, then you really know what it is to worship God. Grief and since worship often go together. Then we'll find it says in verse 21, And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, 
and naked shall I return. And the Lord, he says, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. His first attack was upon Job's possessions, then upon his family. He, he thought that Job would only serve God for profit. Job proved Satan to be wrong, didn't he? Uh, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He didn't blame God for it. I wonder if we could have the patience of Job, as James says. Chapter 2, verse 1, again there was a day, another day, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. It shows us that Satan is persistent in his his adversary work. He had come once before, and when God says, Where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro. I'm doing the same thing I've always done. He's done it for these many centuries, and he will do it until he's put an end to it in the book of Revelation in the future. He's going to do it. And I slack off of our work for God, don't we? He's ever about his business. Remember, he only got as much power as God will permit him to have. You close him down at any time. And you find in the book of Revelation, he says, this is, this is the end of you. That's all, all the opportunities you're going to have. So we read, and the accuser of our brethren is cast down, he and his angels with him, right? That old dragon, that old serpent, which is called the devil and Satan. He's all the same person. He's called the devil. The old serpent, he's called the great dragon in the book of Revelation. He's going to be cast down finally. And the Lord said unto Satan, verse 3, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man and upright, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him? Look at this. Without cause. There was no real cause. Thou movest me to dis- against him to destroy him without cause. It may be well that neither men nor devils are to be our judges. That try to destroy us whether we're right or wrong. And we find his friends, <laughs> if they could have done anything about it, they came along and they said, Job, you're just, get- Job, you're just getting what you deserve. They're coming to you. But our judgment comes from the Lord. And the Lord said... That it's without cause. It says, you really don't have any cause. You've only done this because I permitted you to do it. Verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone in his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore balls from the sole of his foot unto his crown. He took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all. And he sat down among the ashes. He took a broken piece of pottery to scrape his sores. And sat down among the ashes. And he's trying to provoke Job to curse God to his wife. Look at this, verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. She accused God of all this happening to Job. Understand. You know, most she had the same philosophy that the world has. Bad thing, things happen to good people that they got it coming. They don't understand that it's not that. It's not that. There's some preachers like that. Brother, they'll come along and if something bad happens to you, brother, you deserve it. Of course, of legalism, isn't it? You know, God's just doing 
You know, if God gave you what you deserve, it'd be worse than it is. That's not it. You know, He doesn't deal with that us that way. We can thank God that He is merciful and gracious, and and He, uh, the devil was trying to get through Job to Job through his wife. Then said his wife unto him, "Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die." But he said unto her, "Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh." What well, foolishness he says to her to speak against God? What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? All this. Did, did not Job sin with his lips? He says, you've, you've seen the patience of Job and you've, you've seen the end of the Lord. Verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of this evil that was come upon him, they came, every one of his own, uh, from his own place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar and knew him not, they couldn't even recognize Job. They didn't even know this is the same person. They lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. They were really sorry for Job. I believe these were three genuine friends, but they couldn't figure out his problem. Notice what it says. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. How would you like to be in Job's situation, and your three friends come and sit right before you, staring you in the face, seven days and seven nights, not say a word? I believe that would be pretty hard to take, don't you? Can't you say at least something? I'm sorry. Don't you have a little sympathy to say? Don't you have one word from God? Couldn't you even pray with me? Couldn't you do something besides just sit there and stare me in the face and see I'm covered from the top of my head to the sole of my feet with sore balls and I broke out all over with sores and I'm sitting in an ash heap and my family's been taken away and my possessions have been taken away and my wife has turned against me and said, curse God and die and here you come to comfort me and sit there and stare me in the face. You're going to find when they start talking, something else happens too. Seven days and seven nights, for they saw that his grief was great. Well, our time is gone. We'll have to pick up. I want to say a few more things about that second chapter, and then we'll get into the third chapter where Job begins to uh, speak and opens his mouth, uh, tells his friends about his feelings. And then we'll get into the voice of experience in chapter 4, Eliphaz. He comes in and he says, "Well, I know why. I know why this happened. I've seen what you know takes place. So I think it'll be interesting. You pray about it. Come back Sunday evening. We'll have the next lesson at uh, six o'clock Sunday evening. Thank you very much for your uh, patience, your attention. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer."